Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening, and we resume with Perak Namabet Pasuk Vav, but let's just remember where we're up to. Yaakov sends messengers to Esau, whom he has not seen for, um, for 20 years. Uh, he's a little bit nervous. Um, and we read last week, he sent messengers, So you shall say to my master Esau, So you shall say that your servant Yaakov says, I lived with, I dwelt with Lavan, and I have delayed up till now. And we talked about what the possible implication of in love and garity is, a rather famous comment of Rashi, which probably isn't Rashi's comment. Anyway, and then the message continues with Pasuk Vav. By he li shur v'chamor, I have, well, we'll translate it as oxen and donkeys, sown and flocks for evid and servants, for shivcha and maidservants, for eshlacha lahagid adoni, and I send to tell my master, that's a reference to Esav, to find merit in your eyes, so, so that you'll be pleased with me, be pleased with me. Now, it's important to note that Rashi, in his previous comment, said to the effect of, uh, Oli, I'll tell you what he said, on the word garati, I dwelt, um, from the learned idea of ger, a stranger, I didn't become an important person, but I was a ger, I was just a stranger. And then, It's not fitting for you, you don't need to hate me for the brachas of, of your father. When he blessed me, saying, you will be mighty over your brothers, behold, it wasn't fulfilled in me. So says Rashi, that was the import of the previous verse. And Rashi continues with the same idea when he says, um, Yaakov is telling of how many oxen and donkeys he's got. Abba Amar Li, our father, sort of rather colloquially called Abba, said to me, Mital The bracha that I got, pretending to be Esau, from the Jew of heaven and from the fats of the land. That was the bracha. I will get things which are wonderful from heaven and from earth. Zoo, but this, this livestock that he's talking about, it's not from heaven and it's not from earth. In other words, why does Yaakov need to stress this reference to livestock? Now, remember, according to, uh, he's not showing off. He's not saying, wow, look at me, I'm incredibly wealthy. That would be completely counteractive to his message to Esau. And following on from what Rashi started in the previous verse, Yaakov is trying to say the brachot were not fulfilled in me. You don't have to worry about the brachot because it turned out they didn't come true. We talked last week about why Yaakov could say that. Is that not a, a slight on Yitzchak's ability to give brachot? But we'll, we'll leave that for last week. So why is he saying, I've got this shore, I've got this chamor? Answer, to show that, the bra uh, continuing the theme, but the bracha were not fulfilled in me, and that's why he mentions livestock. It's an interesting observation, actually. Yaakov obviously was very rich, but what he didn't have is the ultimate source of richness, um, certainly in historical times and probably at all times, which is land. He's still a traveler. So it's nice that he has oxen and donkeys and servants, but he doesn't have land. So he doesn't have metal And that's what Rashi says that he's saying. Now, um, uh, I, I'll come back to that in a moment, but now let's read the next Rashi on the word shor v'chamor, because there's an obvious problem. It's so obvious. What does shor mean? Ox. Ox. Singular or plural? Singular. Ah, what does chamor mean? Singular or plural. What does Eved mean? You get the idea. Yeah. All of them are in the singular. So he, Rashi says, Dereth Eretz Lomar al Shavarim Harbeh Shor. It's the natural way, it's the normal way to talk about a plurality of oxes, which is we 
you should say oxen, using the old English Germanic ending, which still applies to oxes. Um, but when you have lots of oxen, you call them shor. So the way the Ibn Ezra puts it is each, he's talking about species. Shor means the species of ox. Hamor means the species of donkey. Rashi is similar, but a little bit different. He's just saying shor is the way you refer to many oxen. So don't think he's talking about one ox. And it wouldn't make sense for him to be talking about one ox for at least two reasons. Number one, it, it's not really relevant to say, uh, I've got one ox, I've got one donkey. I mean, that would be a real nebuchy thing to say. Uh, and it wouldn't make sense for him to be saying to Esau, look, I've got one ox, I've got one donkey. More to the point, in a few pasukim time, he's going to give Aesop a present of vast numbers of animals. So clearly he has lots of animals. And we know from last week, from the previous parasha um, of Vayetze, how he acquired so much wealth. And the Torah tells us he acquired so much wealth in the form of these movable livestock and servants items. Um, but clearly he's got more than one ox, one donkey, for all those reasons. So how do we explain why he says one ox and one donkey. So Rashi has to come to tell us, but that is the normal way of talking about species. And then Rashi gives a sort of martial parable, uh, colloquialism. It's a little bit strange because it's very specific. <coughs> Adam Omer Lachavero Balaila. Sorry, a person says to his fellow, Balaila Kara Hataranagal. By night, the rooster called. And he doesn't say the Tarnagolim called out, the roosters called out. So the implication is, if you are, um, I don't know if, it, if the roosters normally crow at dawn, but if they crowed earlier, it's going to be a, a person is talking about a, an event where roosters in plural called out, cried, uh, crowed, doing their crowing stuff. But the way it's um, colloquially referred to is in the singular. So Rashi, this isn't a, a scriptural verse. It's not uh, from any classical source. Rashi just saying that's how people talk. People talk when they hear roosters, plural, called, they say Now, I did see a very interesting observation. Of, there are times when you say the rooster singular called. And there are times when you say roosters called. And there's a suggestion that if you're really interested in the roosters, you would say roosters called in the plural. You're actually describing what these roosters did. But rather, when you say karahataranagol, you're more interested in the effect. There was a cockadoodoo um, at this particular time. Uh, and you're not interested precisely how many, you're interested in the effect. So I'm not sure this is really in Rashi, but it's just worth sharing that Rashi, by saying the same about Yaakov's words about Shorva Hamor, means Yaakov is not really interested in how many oxen and how many donkeys he's got. He's interested in the effect because Yaakov Avinu uses everything in this world, La Avodot Hashem. So the effect is I have this property, I have this stuff, which enable, it helps me to serve Hashem. And that's why I'm not interested in whether it's 99 donkeys or 100 donkeys, it's just donkey. Just like the Taranagol, Karabi, the rooster called, I'm interested in the effect, I'm not actually interested in how many roosters there are. If I were interested in precisely how many roosters there are, I would say so. Similarly, if Yaakov were so mercenary, he would say, I have exactly this number of oxen, but he's not like that. For him, the oxen are a means to an end to serve Hashem, and therefore he just says, Shor just like somebody says, and maybe that's what Rashi is alluding to when he brings that particular example. Um, okay, and then finally, no, it's not finally, next comment of Rashi, and I say, sent to say to my master, Says Rashi, Lahodia Sha'ani Va Elecha, to make known that I am coming to you. Now Rashi has added a whole subclause. If you look back at the Pasuk, I've got all these animals, 
and I'm sending to tell my master to find favor in your eyes. Now, what does Lahagid Adoni refer to? What am I telling my master? Without Rashi, well, how would you have read it? I've got all these animals and I'm sending messages to tell my master. To tell him what? Well, that's, so that's the purpose. But what am I telling him? So without Rashi, you would assume I'm telling him that I've got these animals. Look, Obviously, you're telling him the fact, the fact that you've got lots of animals. But Rashi says that can't make sense. And I think for at least two reasons. One, um, uh, sort of, again, it's not the sort of thing that Yaakov is boasting about. It's, it's incidental to Yaakov. Secondly, and this is the key, um, what I just said was probably my thoughts, which may or may not be very valid. But secondly, um, how does saying I've got oxen and donkeys serve to find favor in your eyes? Now, later on, in a few pasukim time, Yaakov is going to send a present of animals. So that obviously would be to find favor in his eyes. But right now that hasn't happened. All that's happened in Pasukim is he's informing him that he's got lots of animals and servants. Um, and if that's what he is, lahagid, that's what he's sending the messages to tell, then we wonder why, how that's going to So Rashi says that's not what the messengers are telling. Messengers are telling something completely different, which isn't mentioned in the Pasuk, but Rashi says it's, it, that's how we have to understand it. I'm sending the messengers to tell him that I'm coming to meet him. So now the verse reads, um, or going back to Pasuk, hey, tell the Tell Esau, I've lived with Lavan. Um, I um, implying I didn't become very uh, important. I've got animals, but by the way, that the um, they weren't for a fulfillment of the bracha because they weren't from heaven or earth. And I'm coming to tell you, says Rashi, that I'm on my way to meet you, and that is what will be limsachem be'enecha, not the previous comments that Rashi that, that Yaakov has been saying. So Rashi finds a whole new object of the word lahagit, which isn't there in the Pasuk, but Rashi puts that in because uh, the implication is without that, it doesn't make sense. What is Yaakov telling Esau that will find favor in his eyes? And finally, so Rashi now explains, I am literally whole, complete with you, and request your love. And what does shalem mean? So I had trouble translating it. Shalem is perfect. I don't think he's saying I'm perfect, but he's saying I'm whole and complete. Notice he doesn't say, I don't hate you. I hope you don't hate me. He's saying I'm shalem and I hope you love me. And that's what shalem is. It's more than just not hating. It's actually being totally complete. Yaakov is saying, there's no more rancor, there's no more hatred, at least from me to you. I am shalem, and therefore I hope you're able to give me ahava in return. So Rashi, the word shalem isn't in the Chumash, it's in the Rashi, but Rashi uses that word to then explain why, according to Rashi, he is mavakesh ahavatcha, because he, Rashi sees this, the whole, the whole tone of Yaakov's uh, message as requesting his love, more than just putting away the uh, grudges, but actually connecting in a totally fraternal way, and that is Sha'ani Shalem. Okay, let's go on to Basak Zion. Yes, please. Could it be like, the, when he's saying, like, I'm whole, I'm complete, I've got this, could it be saying, like, as well, like, I, I have everything I need, so I'm not seeking love from you for ulterior motives of wanting something for you from you, like, um, it could be, um, but perhaps I, there's a word that I didn't focus on and I should have done. Sha'ani shalem imacha. I am shalem with you. So I think that that leads to my interpretation. Why is the oxen donkey? I don't get how. Well, so, uh, so Rashi would ask that question. Why is he mentioned the oxen and the donkeys? And Rashi's answered that by saying, um, they're not from Shemayim or from Aretz. They didn't grow from the earth. And therefore, they're not a fulfillment of the bracha that I got from our father. Okay. And therefore, you shouldn't hate me. Yeah. 
Because because you've asked the question, this is exactly Russia's question. Why do we mention the oxen at all? Because they don't really come into the story. As I say, later on, in a few verses, not that far away, they will when he gives him various presents, but he's not doing that right now. So Rashi is bothered why he mentions it at all. Why does that, the reason to which he said it isn't, because then I was saying he adds in that alternative explanation of what he, what Yaakov is telling Esau. He's telling Esau that I'm coming to meet you. Um, so we're still left, if we hadn't seen the first Rashi on this Pasuk, we're left with what's the relevance of the oxen and the donkeys at all. And that's the first Rashi, that to show that the bracha was not fulfilled in me. Pasuk Zion, Vayashuvu Hamalachim. The messengers returned El Yaakov to Yaakov, Leimur saying, Banu El Achicha, we came to your brother, El Esav, to Esav, Vagam Holech Likrotcha, and also he comes to meet you, the Arba Meot Ish Imo, and there's 400 men with him, which is obviously a bit threatening. So Rashi says, Banu El Achicha El Esav, Shahayita Omer, you said, this is the messengers responding to Yaakov, you said, he is my brother. But he is behaving to you like wicked Esau. He is still hating you. What's Rashi's problem? I think it's pretty obvious that Rashi sees there is a superfluity, and that's why he very often why he says anything, El Achicha El Esau. They're the same person. Yaakov's only got one brother. So when the messengers say, we went to your, bro to, to your brother, that's obviously Esau. Or if they said, we went to Esau, that's obviously your brother. So why do we need to say both? Now, just by the way, if you go back to Pasuk Dalad, it says, Yaakov Malachim El Esau Achiv, to Esau, his brother. And Rashi doesn't say anything, even though there's the same repetition. Esau is his brother. His brother is Esau. Why doesn't Rashi say anything there? And probably it's because it's more than just Esau Achicha in Pasuk Zion. It's El Achicha El Esau. So you can, it sounds like they're separate people. So you could say in Pasuk Zion, Esau Achicha, that is a reasonable way of talking about your brother Esau. But there's no need for the messengers to say, we came to your brother, to Aesop. We could have said to your brother Aesop, and maybe it's hypothetical, but maybe Rashi wouldn't have commented there. But to your brother, to Aesop, implies um, there's two, two degrees, there's two things going on at the same time. Um, by the way, it also tells you that Aesop is a watchword for evil. Kamo, he's not like your brother, He's not. So by just saying Esau, they're saying he's wicked, because we, we learn from this that Esau was identified purely as wicked. Now there's something else that Rashi has explained. There is another word that Rashi has explained without mentioning it, and the word is the gum. So let's look back at pasuk Zion. The messengers came back to Yaakov saying, We came to your brother, to your Esau, and also, He's coming towards you with 400 men. What's the gum? Now, the gum means, in addition to what we told you, there's something else. It doesn't really work without Rashi. There's a few words which we'll, I'll point out very precisely in a moment in Rashi. Without which it really doesn't work, because then what the, the, the gum implies is there's two things being told. The second one is um, he's coming to meet you with 400 men. What's the first one? What is the gum going in addition to? All that's left in the pasuk is we came to your brother to Esau, which is not news, because that's exactly what they were told to do. Obviously, they've been there and they've come back. So that can't be the big chiddush, the big news that the messengers are, are, are retelling. So what does Rashi put? Having said, Rashi, as he often does, adds more to the conversation in order to make all the clauses and pronouns sort of work and the uh, um, uh, conjunctions in this case. According to Rashi, and this isn't in the Pasuk, but Rashi says it's implied, 
that giving a message, the message is, you think he's your brother, but actually he's Esau of Russia, he still hates you. And having established that as the message, then we can add the gum, and also he's coming to meet you with 400 men. So the gum needs to come after a piece of information. And the piece of information cannot just be, we came to yeah, Esau, and now we come back, because that's no extra information, that's obvious. So rather, the message is, and it's derived from El Achicha El Esav, as Rashi says, that he is still hating you. And also, he's coming with 400 men. Pasuk. Yes, please. How does the answer in terms of the El Achicha El Esav, I don't know if he's commenting on the El, will be said potentially, how is Rashi's explanation about as he's saying, like, like you acted like a brother. That no, no, sense. you said, Rashi puts it, Omer Achihu. The messengers yeah. say to Yaakov, mm-hmm. you, Yaakov, told us he was your brother. Yeah. He was fraternal. Mm-hmm. But we went and we found that he's not. I'm wondering how that links with El Achicha El Ah, I see. Yeah. You want to be, okay, so if the repetition is El, mm-hmm. uh, okay, I, I, I can't answer that better than I've tried to already. Okay, it sounds like they, they, it, it almost sounds like they made two journeys. Mm. There was the El Achicha, mm. and there was a journey El Esav. Mm. The El Achicha was, it was your hypothetical, you, Yaakov, had this hypothetical image that we would go yeah. to your brother. But in fact, we went to Esau. Um, so that's how I read it. Maybe you can be more precise. But I, I think the, the, I mentioned the El in the contrast between this passage and passage yeah. where there's no El, and certainly no repeated El. What happened to Yaakov? Next passage. Passage Vayira Yaakov Ma'od, um, which will translate as Yaakov was very afraid. Vayetzer Lo, and he was troubled, distressed, sad. Vayachatz et ha'am asher ito, and he divided the people who were with him, ve'et ha'tzon ve'et ha'bakar, and the flocks and the herds, ve'hagamalim and the camels, lishnei machanot into two camps, and that will come back in the next puzzle. But first of all, we have another, um, well, we've, if we know what Rashi's gonna say, perhaps the question becomes obvious, what's Vayira and Vayetzerlo? He was frightened and he was distressed. There's a repetition there again. So Rashi's going to tell us, as Rashi usually does, they refer to two different things. Says Rashi, Vayira, Vayetzer, he was afraid lest he be killed. And he was troubled. If he is going to kill, have to kill others. Now, there's a few things to say there. First of all, Rashi, in this comment, like most of Rashi, comes from a Midrash. There are varying readings of the Midrash, and some want to reverse the order. Vayira is afraid that he will kill others, and Vayetzerlo is he's afraid of being killed. Uh, as I say, um, I can't say Rashi changes the Midrash because there are at least two versions of the Midrash floating around. But the version Rashi picks has Vayira, first, uh, which is the first thing mentioned in the Pasuk, as afraid that others will kill him. And the Yetzir is afraid that he will kill others. Now, it could be that Rashi prefers that order because he understands Yira, fear, being a fear of being killed, and Tsar being a fear of hurting others. Uh, I don't know if one can like, prove that by the uses of that word throughout the Chumash, but it could be that that's his, um, uh, why he explains these two words like that, because he had, in, in, there's a wider context of those two words meaning those two things. But you can also say, and I think this is simpler, that it must be the order that Rashi puts it. He's afraid of being killed, number one, that's Vayira, and he's afraid that he will kill others, that's number two, that's Vayetzelo, because he would not be killing others unless it were in self-defense. Yaakov is not a warrior who's going to kill people for the sake of killing people. He wouldn't do that. He's, it's not Yaakov. So why would he be worried about killing others? Only because he'd be worried about others coming to kill him. Of course, once it's in self-defense, then it, halakhically, it is allowed to kill to save your own life. Um, in fact, if somebody's coming to kill you, 
uh, we say under you know, th certain theoretical circumstances, kill them first. So this fits with what we're seeing here, that Yaakov was afraid that they would kill him or that they were coming to kill him. And therefore he was afraid that he would kill others. Um, the next thing to note is this word Acherem. Whom is he really likely to kill? Esau. So why does it say Acherem? So someone to say, love Dafka, that the, the, the Rashi, there's nothing to learn here. But others want to say that he's not worried about killing Esau because he will be totally justified in killing Esau. Because uh, we're, I mean, we're, he's a theory that Esau wants to kill him. Turns out that maybe Aesop doesn't, but as far as he knows, Aesop wants to kill him. That's the message that he's just got from the messengers. So he's fears he, or he feels he might have to kill Aesop, but he's not worried about that because if Aesop wants to kill him, he's perfectly justified. Halacha will tell him that he's able to kill Aesop. So what's he worried about? Killing others. The 400 men. The 400 men who may not be as culpable, who may not be coming to kill him like Aesop is. So it's interesting. Rashi says, et acheirim that he will kill others, not Esau, but the others who might not be deserving of death. That's what he's worried about. Could also be getting the others in his camp killed by bringing them to this death. Uh, what, he'd be worried about his own family, etc., being killed? be followed by saying that he divides his camp, so if one is killed, others seek refugees. Um, it is interesting. You're, uh, I think it's a very good question. And we're about to see in the next verse and the, um, well, particularly the next verse, um, Rashi is going to say there's going to be fighting. Uh, if one camp, Leposik says, if one camp gets hit, the other camp will escape, which implies one camp will still get hit. Yet Rashi doesn't say that that was what was Yaakov was afraid of in Posik Chet. Um, all I can say is Rashi doesn't say that. Yeah. He doesn't say he's worried about his family being killed. Now, presumably he was. I think that, that's natural, but that's not what, how Rashi explains by Yira. So uh, we'll leave it as a question why Rashi doesn't see that as his fear. Yeah. That's a question. So just an interesting note, the Gamalim is plural. I don't know why, I don't know if you saw anything why, but Son of Akhar, we have to see with the Gamalim, doesn't follow that same pattern. Well, in terms of the word Son, is a bit of a problem, actually. I didn't say this. Uh, Rashi didn't say this. Um, but in Pasuk Vav, um, as far as I know, Son means flock. It oh. is a collective term. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if eight sown is a single sheep, but even if it, I don't think it is, but even if it is, it's certainly a flock. So although in Pasuk Vav, it's short in the singular, it's Hamor in the singular, it's Ebed and Shifcha in the singular, sown doesn't say Keves, yeah. it yeah. says sown. So I'm not quite sure why it says that here. So here, so you're comparing that to Pasuk Chet, Etat Son, the car, well, the car is also heard. Yes. And then it fits okay. And, and also, actually, now I think I've got it. I've still got a problem with white stone is in Pasuk Vav. But in Pasuk Vav, he's speaking to Asa. Mm. So he's not saying, I've got lots of oxen. The way Rashi puts it, I've got oxen, which he just doesn't count. And that's expressed as a, a singular. Um, and that's and a chamor and and Ebed and Shivcha, question mark about so. Here he's not giving a message to Asaph. This is the Torah, this is the narrative telling us what he did. And it's worth noting that he had lots of Gamalim. In fact, you have to say Gamalim in order to divide them into two. If he just said he, he, he had a Gamal and he divided it. Now we might have learned Rashi on Pasuk 12 that it refers to a lot of Gamalim, but if we hadn't, we might wonder. How you can divide one gamal into two? Well, you can, like Shlomo Melech said, divide the baby, but it's not going to leave you many camels. So it sounds to me that it makes much more sense. So everything is a plural in Pesachet. Gamalim, so in a collective noun, and Bakara is a collective noun. That's the difference that's embedded Shorba Chamor, we said in the comments, I think. Like in Shorba Chamor, that was the end of his Tibor Yes. And, and it's important for the yes. son is included in that, because as you said, it's... it's ah, I, oh, so from the Tibor Matcha, he didn't say it's so. Okay, but it did say Ebed and Shivcha, singular. After the word son. Hmm. So I'm not sure why it says son. Okay, but now I think I've got it why it doesn't need to give the singer. Thank you. So Tet, Vayomer, and he said, Im Yavo El If Asaf will come on one camp, the Hikahu, and smite it, and it will be the remaining camp 
as a refuge or will escape. So Rashi's got quite a bit to say, including a quite a long Rashi. And I have to start by apologizing. I am not sure, and I've really tried to research and think about why this Rashi is so long. Um, I'll share my limited conclusions, but let's see what he says. It, this Rashi is responding to a grammatical problem that you might have noticed in the puzzle, where it says, Anyone notice the problem? It's who as an object. It's not who, it's right, it. But it's not the number of vihikahu that's the problem. It's the gender. Vihikahu is, it makes machane masculine. Otherwise it would be vihikahota. So in Hebrew, as we know, every noun is gendered, unlike in English, but rather like in many languages. Um, so vihikahu means it will hit the camp camp as masculine. It, had it been feminine, it would be vihika ota. It will hit it feminine. But, so vihikahu implies masculine. But ha'achat, the one camp, this one camp, ha'achat is feminine. Otherwise it would be achad. So it's the masculine hikahu and the feminine ha'achat. And that's what Rashi is devoting this quite long paragraph to, where he says, The word uses both the male gender and the female gender. And then the reason this paragraph is quite long is because Rashi gives a large number of examples showing that it happens to the word in other places, and it happens to other words as well. There are words in Hebrew which have both genders. Uh, so first of all, he proves this for machane, and he quotes from Tehillim, and he says, "Im If the camp camps against me, harei nekeva. That is nekeva because tachane um, is feminine." So Tachaneh goes with Machaneh, and Tachaneh is feminine, so it must be that Machaneh is feminine. However, we have also the example of, from a completely different place in Chumash, Hamachaneh um, Hazeh, actually from the next paragraph that we're coming to, but I think that's a coincidence. So Hamachaneh Hazeh is very clearly masculine, because Zeh is masculine as opposed to Zot. And that is, says Rashi, Zachar. So we see that the word Machaneh, in this particular verse, is both masculine and feminine, and we also see elsewhere it's feminine, and we see it's masculine. So it happens. That's really what Rashi's saying. And then he says, And there are other things, other words that use both male and female grammar. So example, Hashemesh yatsa al ha'aretz. The sun went out on the earth. That's after the uh, destruction of Saddam and Amara. And it says Yatsa, which is um, masculine. And another example referring to the sun, doesn't say the word sun in that quote, but it's in the Pasuk. From the ends of the heavens, he brought it. And the O is masculine. So we have two examples where Shemesh is masculine. Hare Lashon Zachar, that's masculine. The Hashemesh Zarcha Al Hamayim. The sun shone on the water, uh, and Zarcha, with a hay on the end, makes the verb feminine. Hare Lashon Nekeva. It's an expression which is Nekeva, which is feminine. So sun is another example of a word which sometimes is masculine, takes masculine grammar, and sometimes takes masculine, uh, sorry, feminine grammar. Another example, v'chein haruach, and it's the same with ruach, sorry, ruach, not haruach, and the Pasuk says, hine ruach gudola ba'a, there you have it, hare loshen nekeva, that's feminine, because the adjective gudola is feminine, and the ba'a, the verb, is feminine, so we see that shemesh is, sorry, ruach, 
is used in the feminine uh, sense. Uh, and then um, in the same pasuk, incidentally, Vayiga Arba Pinot Habayat. It touched the four corners of the house. Um, this is the beginning of Aov. It's a ter- terribly sad story. The beginning of Aov, um, he loses everything, including his family, because the wind knocked down the house in which they were residing. So the wind came and it was great and it literally touched, in other words, it sort of came to the four corners of the house. But Vayiga is a masculine verb. And therefore, as she says, Harelosh and Sahar. And then he gives another example. The, sorry? Yes, and that's my point, and I'm not quite sure why. harim. The wind was great and strong, and it broke mountains. Behold, that is Lashon Zachar and Lashon in one go. Uh, I'll just pause for a minute, because this is getting long and tiresome. Um, uh, the Divrei David makes a, a brilliant observation. Uh, in the words I just read, Rashi combines the two. He doesn't say Hare Lashon Zachar, and then he gives another example and says Hare Lashon Mekeba. He says, in one example, you've got both. Now, the previous example about Ruach, um, sorry, he says that's Nekeva, and he says that's masculine, but he splits the two, even though they come from the same pasuk. That is one pasuk from Eof. It may say that in your books, it may not. It's the same pasuk. So the Divrei David says, why doesn't Rashi, quoting the pasuk from Eof, say, Now, Rashi's been is incredibly precise. So there's a reason why in the Eo case, he says, then he gives the rest of the passage and says, but in the Malachim case, um, no, I'm sorry, this is the Midbar. Um, no, I'm sorry, in the Malachim case, he says in one go, so the Divrei David says, in the case of the word Ruach, in the passage in Eo, in the first case, Rashi is looking at the adjective, and in the second case, he's looking at the verb, vayiga. The adjective is feminine and the verb is masculine, but they're two separate things, two separate grammatical concepts. In the case from Malachim, it says, ruach v'chazak. So there's a two adjectives. You have to like grammar for this to resonate. I like grammar. There are two adjectives. What do you notice about the two adjectives? V'chazak. One's feminine and one's masculine. Yeah. So whereas in the case of the Eob, it was two like two different grammatical points that were learned from the two parts of the passage. Um, a feminine adjective, a masculine noun. In the case of the Pasuk in Malachim, the, this one, it's it's really packed together. It's really in one, one package. The Ruach Gedolah The very fact you have two adjectives, one masculine, one feminine, that's why Rashi says, Haray Lashon Zachar Velashon Nekeva. And then another example, just in case you haven't got the point. It's the same with fire. The Pasuk says, with the hay, may Hashem, The fire came out, and the hay on the end of the verb makes it feminine. And that's a feminine expression. The fire, um, the fiery blade, or the blade of fire, The word lo hate um, is a masculine adjective. And there it is masculine. And that's the end. So Rashi has said, it works with Machaneh in another place. It works with Shemesh. It works with Ruach. And he brought two examples to show that and two pairs. And it works with Aish. And I do not know, and I'm sorry, um, why Rashi feels the need to bring so many examples. Um, I did see a sort of suggestion that it's so in your face in the original case. What do I mean in your face? It says, in two, two consecutive words, we switch from feminine to masculine. And because it's so, my words, in your face, Rashi feels the need to really, really justify it. But I, I don't quite understand that answer. Um, I also saw an observation, which I never noticed before, but the three things that Rashi brings as parallel examples are related very much, sun, wind, and fire. So the sun being the source of light and fire, perhaps, I mean, I'm, I hope I'm not stretching it, rather than the star itself. But what does the sun represent? The sun is like a big ball of 
fiery gas. Um, these are all things which are very, very insubstantial, if you like. They're very, very non-tangible. Um, they're two of the four elements. Um, it's just interesting that the examples Rashi picks is not your run-of-the-mill nouns. He doesn't pick houses or shoes or you know, whatever I can think of as, as to demonstrate this property. These are things which are very intangible and also very fundamental. As I was just alluding, they're, they're part of the what the early scientists thought were the four elements for which all matter is created, earth, air, fire, and water, and you've got two out of four out, out there. So uh, again, I just leave this as it requires more homework. Why does Rashi bring so many examples and why the examples that he chooses are all of this very intangible materials? Then back to back to the story. The remaining camp can escape. And then Rashi says, Al Korcho against his will, ki alachem imo, because I will fight with him. Now, um, there's quite a bit of discussion about what Rashi's doing here, and it seems to revolve around the word of where which is the first of the, the Rashi's clearly including it in his Dibra Matzah. So, someone to say that the word vahaya implies certainty, that it will definitely happen. So, Rashi has to explain how Yaakov knows it will definitely happen. It's all very well dividing the camp into two, dividing your, your, all your property into two camps. But what does that achieve? Yaakov, sorry, Aesop can fight one and he can fight the other. He can destroy one, he can destroy the other. So we need an explanation of the mechanism by which one will escape. And the answer is, um, what Russia doesn't quite spell out, Aesop will come and attack one camp. Yaakov will fight against him. But while the fighting is going on, the other camp can get away. That is Yaakov's strategy. That is how um, splitting the camp turns into at least one of them being able to escape. Because I will fight with him. Um, you can also say, um, the Ibn Ezra actually says explicitly, Vahaya does not mean certainty. And he brings examples from Komish where it's, it's, it's an exaltation, it's a wish, um, but it's not a prediction. And, and so most don't want to say that Rashi is going in the same direction. But some could say that Rashi is going in the same direction. And that is interesting. And that's why if we take Vahaya Hamachanesha Nishali Fleta as not absolutely definitive, Rashi in his next words doesn't say it's definitely going to happen. But he says what will happen will be against Esau's will. In other words, if we now say it's not definitely going to happen, but at least it's something that Esau doesn't plan. Esau is coming and against his will, at least another uh, one of the camps will have a chance to escape because I will fight with him. Now, then Rashi goes on to say, and he's quoting a Midrash here, Hitkin atzmo l'shlosha devarim. He prepared himself for three things. Le Doron, for gifts, le tefillah, ou le milchama, le tefillah, and for war. And then Rashi says, how do we get, how do we know he prepared these three things? And he brings Pesukim to match up to each of the three things. Le Doron, for gifts, because it says, v'ta'avor ha-mincha al-panav. Um, so I didn't know which Pesukim this is, but it's a few Pesukim later. He prepares this mincha which means in this context, a present, a gift. And that's, as I said, a whole bunch of animals that Yaakov is sending to Esau. So ta'avor ha-mincha al-panav refers to the gift. Le tefillah, how do I know he prepared for tefillah? Elokei avi Abraham, because in the next verse, the very next verse, he starts davening to the God of my father, Abraham. Le milchama, how do we know he prepared for milchama? Vahaya ha-machaneh ha-nishalifleta, because the Pasuk says, the remaining camp will escape. And according to Rashi, based on this very comment that we said at the beginning, what does that mean? It means, imo, I will fight with him. Now, let me explain what I think Rashi's doing. Uh, again, I have to say tonight, there's another thing I'm not 100% sure about, uh, why Rashi brings this list of three. Um, but, and that's why I said he's quoting a Midrash and someone to say that he's actually saying what he says, basically to maintain the, the, the Midrash, to support the Midrash. 
that's a little bit hard because Rashi doesn't normally do that. He brings a midrash if he thinks it explains the pasuk. He doesn't bring a pasuk to explain the midrash. But just sort of bear with me. The midrash says he prepares for three things, and there are three pasukim associated with each of the three things. And the third pasuk associated with milchama is this one. Having had Rashi's explanation originally, but that means I will fight with Esau, we now understand that this very verse, refers to his plans for fighting. Because without Rashi's opening comment, we'd just be left with, and we wouldn't understand how that is a reference to war, which the Midrash says it is. So Rashi has told us what the verse means, what the plan is, that Yaakov will fight with Esau. And then he says that now fits with what the Midrash says about he prepared himself for three things. And the third thing that he prepared himself is for fighting. Incidentally, the Midrash, um, I think it's a Tanchuma Yashan, um, is pretty much word for word Rashi says, but they switch the order um, of gift, prayer, and fighting. And fighting, I think, comes second. And prayer, I think, comes third. Um, but either way, Rashi is not following the order of the Pesukim. The order of the Pesukim should be war, tefillah, doron, present, because that's the order of which appear in the plans. This, we now know, is Yaakov's plan for war, okay? as because Rashi said it. In the next verse, Rashi, uh, Yaakov governs, and after he's finishing governing, he sent a present. So why does Rashi quote the three things as present, prayer, and war? And I realize I don't know why he puts prayer before, uh, present before prayer, but I can suggest why he puts war at the end, even though it's mentioned first in the text, because it never actually happened. Because although he prepared for war, it turned out the Yaakov was, uh, Aesop was at least on some level friendly, and there was no war. So Rashi lists the one that he prepared for that didn't happen as last, whereas the other two take precedence because they did actually happen. But I realized by explaining this and, and showing the question and the answer, I've raised the question, why does Rashi say le Doron before he says le Tfila? And I don't know. But we do know that he doesn't because that's in the next verse. By Yomer Yaakov Eloke Avi Avraham, Yaakov said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Yitzchak, Hashem, Haomer Eli, God who said to me, Shuv la return to your land, Ula and to your birthplace, Ve'etiva Imach, and I will be good with you. Now, Rashi has, this is the Rashi where he spells out what the question is and then gives a very nice answer. And he says on the words, Now, the halan normally means later. In this case, it means earlier because it refers back to Perik Lamadala Pasuk Membet. And the halan can, I mean, so it's the red heading to say it means later. It doesn't always mean later. It sort of means at a distance. There's a Pasuk that's a while earlier or a while later. Omer, he referred to, he davened to Hashem as the fear of Yitzchak, not the God of Yitzchak. And Rashi himself there, Lamadal of Membet, gave us a whole story about why he used the word Pachad Yitzchak. And the reason is because Hashem doesn't associate his name with a living person, because a living person, if they're a tzaddik, this is what Rashi said, might always one day not become a tzaddik. Rashi also had explained earlier that Hashem himself referred to Eloke Yitzchak um, because Hashem knew that Yitzchak had conquered his Yitzhahara because he was blind. He didn't have much of a Yitzhahara. So Hashem can say Eloke Yitzchak, but Yaakov can't. And that's why Yaakov earlier said Pachad Yitzchak, not the God of Yitzchak, but the thing that Yitzchak is in fear of, obviously referring to Hashem. And yet here, he doesn't do that. So here, it's precisely because Rashi has spent so much time explaining that Yaakov would not call God Eloke Yitzchak because Yitzchak's still alive, and yet here he does. So Rashi's got to explain that. And then Rashi says there's another question. Furthermore, why does Yaakov go back and mention the special name, i.e. Hashem's name? 
And if you look again at the Pasuk, it, that, that Hashem, right, halfway through, really jumps out as wrong. Hashem When we, we, we're very familiar with referring to God and God of our fathers. We do it three times a day. And we always do it in that order. And if you're using the word Hashem and you would say Hashem so to say Hashem, it really strikes, shouts out as what's going on. Rashi says, uh, I, I phrased it as if you're going to say Hashem, you put it at the beginning. Rashi phrases it, probably better, as you don't need to say Hashem at all. You could have just said, God of Abraham, God of Yitzchak, Ha'omer Eli, who said to me, Shuv return to your land. So what's going on? So Rashi gives a brilliant answer. This is what Yaakov said before Hashem. You have promised me two different promises. You gave me a promise when I was going out from my father's house from Beersheba. He's referring to Hashem's promise at the dream of the ladder, which was on his way out. You said to me, Ani Hashem, Abraham uh, you can look it up in Perut Kafchet Pasuk Yud Zion if you want. Vasham Amaratali, and there, when you introduced yourself as Hashem, the God of Abraham, and the God of your father, and the God of Yitzchak, and you said to me, Ushmaraticha b'chol Ashetele, you will guard. I will guard you wherever you go. That was promise number one. Uvevet Lavan Amaratali. And in Lavan's house, you gave me another promise. And you said, Shuv el Eretz Avotecha, return to the land of your fathers, and your birthplace, and I will be with you. Basham, and there in Lavan's house, when you appeared to me, you appeared to me with the holy, with the unique name, alone. Hashem said to Yaakov, return to the land of your fathers. What does it possibly not say there? It does not say, okay, Abraham. It's just Hashem. So says Rashi to conclude, With these two promises, I come before you. So there was one promise where you introduce yourself as Elokavi Abraham Elokavi Yitzchak, and there was another promise where you introduce you yourself as Hashem. And those two promises, by the way, as, as Rashi uh, identified, they sort of bookend the whole story of Yaakov in exile from the beginning to the end. One was a general promise that I will look after you in general, wherever you go. And the second was go back to Israel and I will look after you there. So Yaakov is saying, well, I should now get the benefit of both promises. You promised to protect me wherever I go. I'm somewhere. You promised to take me on my way back to Israel. I'm now on my way back to Israel. So that's why I'm invoking both those promises. And Yaga and Rashi says brilliantly, this phrase, Hashem, incorporates both the salutations, if you like, that Hashem introduced himself with. Um, the first was, and that answers the question why Yaakov refers to because he's quoting back to Hashem what Hashem had said, even though Yaakov prefers to call him Pachad Yitzchak, and why it says Hashem, like sort of dangling there, um, out of place, because that's a reference to the second promise that he was introduced with, Ani Hashem. Okay, I think we will stop there for the evening. And in the next week, we'll carry on with the word Katanti.